is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Today is uh, the last message in this series of challenges that I have uh, called us to. And uh, the challenges have been to re-embrace God's desire for us to change the world and begin right here at home, begin right here in our community, in Surrey, in Alawite. And so my final challenge this morning in this series of messages is for us to embrace in a fresh way, and that's kind of been the theme every message, for us to embrace in a fresh way God's commission to us, God's charge to us. And of course, that charge, you all most likely know it really, really well, but that charge is beginning right here at home, where to go into all the world and where to make disciples of the Lord Jesus. Our mission is to help men, our commission is to help men and women become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That is what our mission is as a church. And just in case you don't know, the word disciple simply means learner one who follows a certain teacher, one who wants to emulate his teacher. And and so Jesus is asking us to go out and make men and women, help men and women become his followers, his learners, students of him. And once somebody begins to follow Jesus, Jesus told us, here's what I want you to do. I want you to baptize them. That is sort of their starting block, if you would. It's their their outward... um, joining with us, if you would, the symbol of their joining with us. And then he says that we are to teach them to do everything that Jesus wants us to do. He literally said to go out and teach them to observe all that Jesus had commanded us to observe. So we're to go out and teach people to be like Jesus. Now, if I were to ask you this question, the track with me, it's really important right here at the beginning. If I were to ask you, why do we want to make disciples of Jesus? Maybe most of us, maybe all of us would say the same thing. And this is what we would say in our minds. So that people can go to heaven when they die. We're to go out here and make disciples so that people can go to heaven when they die. So here's a question I want to ask you. Do people receive eternal life from God? I go to heaven because they've put their faith in Jesus to give them that life or because they become a disciple of Jesus. They become a follower, a learner of the Lord Jesus. Now, beloved, let me tell you something. That is a hugely contested question among those of us who follow Jesus. We, we don't. We, we are greatly divided over that question. Does God give eternal life to his disciples, that is to people who become learners of Jesus? Or does God, does God give eternal life to those who put their faith without following Jesus necessarily, to those who put their faith in the fact that Jesus died for them and rose again from from the dead. Is eternal life the gift that is given to us because we've exercised faith? We've believed what God said about Jesus and His death was sufficient for us? Uh, Or does God give us eternal life because we exercise faith that leads us to follow Jesus and become like Him? One brother I read expressed his opinion this way, though all believe listen, though all believers have eternal life, not all believers are disciples and not all disciples are believers. 
And I really want to unpack that, but I'm not going to because here's my point. I'm not even going to tell you what I think about that question because maybe I'm not even quite sure myself how to answer that question. But here's my point. Now listen carefully. Regardless of how you answer that question, Jesus didn't tell us to go out and and help people put their faith in him. His commission to us isn't so that we could go to heaven. His commission is so that we might be his disciples. We're to go out and make disciples. And what's a disciple? A disciple is a learner who is a follower of Jesus. So regardless of whether it's a, it's a disciple that has eternal life or someone who has put their faith in Jesus and isn't a disciple has eternal life, the charge from Jesus is to go and make disciples. And so, so what I'm trying to do this morning is to energize us, re-energize us, re-emphasize that we are to go out here and our call from God, our charge from God is that we're to make disciples And I want to suggest to you that it's by making disciples that we're going to change our community. It's by making disciples that we're going to change our world. Here's Jesus and Luke. Luke records Jesus as saying this to them. He told them a parable. A person who is blind cannot guide another who is blind, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above the teacher, but everyone, when he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. You see, here's what Jesus was saying. I'm going to train you guys to be just like me. And then your job is to go out and train others to be just like me. Okay? Now, I had a real moment of clarity this week. Can I say something? I was praying up here before I came up here to speak because I really want to ask you guys to trust me after all these years After all these years, um, not that I can't be wrong, but I just want you to trust my heart here in the things that I'm going to say. Because I think I'm going to be a challenge. I think some of you are going to just reject outright what I'm saying. But I want you to listen carefully. I feel like I had a moment of clarity this week. Uh, A moment that I I, I call it, if you want to call it any, I kind of call it a God moment. And here's my moment of clarity. you listening? The goal of discipleship isn't head knowledge and information, though all of that is super important. It's like I said the other day, if you, if you carry what I'm saying and you go to an extreme, you're going to read wrong what I'm trying to say. So I'm not trying to say that information and head knowledge and, and, and understanding of theology isn't important. I think it is important. But here's the goal of discipleship. Here's the moment of clarity I had, that the goal of discipleship is to train men and women, to follow Jesus so that their lives reflect His, so that their lives become like Him, so that they live like Him and they look like Him. I don't mean that they physically, I mean they look like how He lived and how He was. And I want to suggest to you that we will draw men to Jesus when we're like Him, and when we're like Him and we help other people become like Him, then our community will change. All right, so listen, what would be better, outlawing abortion or changing everyone's heart to love children in the womb and to see them as precious to God with intrinsic value in and of themselves? Which would be better, outlawing abortion or changing everyone's heart to see the intrinsic value of children? 
It's obvious, isn't it? It would be to get us to change their heart, right? To get them to see the value of children. Now, how do we do that? We do it according to Jesus, as best I understand, is one by one we make disciples of all the nations of Jesus. We get people to follow Jesus. Now, I got to say all these things just so I'm balanced and and you you don't weigh this thing wrongly. I know that the road is narrow that leads to life. I know that there's a broad road that leads to destruction. I totally get that. We need laws to govern the, the evil intents of men's heart. But nonetheless, that being said, our mission is to make followers of Jesus, to make men and women who are learners of Jesus, who are observing everything that Jesus wants them to observe and to be like Jesus and to behave like him. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, chapter 6, first letter, chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Paul said to them, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbal abusive people, swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And listen to this. And some of you used to be like that, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Here's what Jesus is, here's what Paul was saying. And, and, and by the way, Paul is not saying, hey guys, you know, God's, God, God expects you, God, God knows you're going to be absolutely perfect, that you're never going to fail. God, Paul is not calling for absolute perfection here, but he is saying that you once were like this, but now you're not anymore because you follow Jesus and he's changed your life and you are different. So, This morning, I am challenging our family. If we're going to change our community, then we have to make disciples of Jesus. And what that means is we need to help people follow Jesus, be like Jesus, have their lives changed by Jesus, live like Jesus. The emphasis, I'm not saying that it's not super important that we inculcate into the lives and hearts of people Christian theology, that they understand all the nuances of our Christian theology. We should do that. But we should also, and maybe even more importantly, teach people to live like Jesus, to be like Him in His ways. So here's what I did on Tuesday morning. I sat down with the Gospel of Luke, and I just, I read through the Gospel of Luke. Now I skim read it, but, but I was looking for something as I read through the Gospel of Luke. I was looking for how does Jesus change his disciples? What happens in their life once they begin to follow him? How does he expect them to be different than the average Joe or average, average Sally in the world? How does he expect them to, sorry, Sally, there's a Sally in our, and there's some Joes here too, right? Anyway, um, the average person, how does, what does he do in their life? How does he change them? And I had a long list. I had a long list. But there were seven that resonated in my heart. And don't be scared. There's seven of them. But I, let me just really quickly kind of just tell you, when you begin to follow Jesus, this is how he changes us. Here's my first one. When we begin to follow Jesus and we be, our lives begin to be molded to be like his, as his disciples, here's what happens to us. We look beyond the outside of people 
and we begin to look into their heart and we begin to see their intrinsic value before God and we begin to see that they matter to God and, and we don't we don't we don't put people off because what we see on the outside we we look at their heart Jesus calls Matthew to follow him and he's been intrigued obviously by Jesus he follows him he gets all of his sinful tax collecting buddies together and they have a party and Jesus is there and the religious folks, they come to Jesus and say, man, don't you know you're hanging out with sin sinful people? What are you doing? You remember Jesus' response. He said to them, it, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, look, it's not the guys on the outside that you think are just so bad and so unapproachable or so unreachable, so far from God that you shouldn't care about them. He said, man, those are the people that I came for because I recognize that God loves them just like he loves you and me who have already come to follow him. He loves all of us broken, fallen people. And, and, uh, and Jesus wanted us to understand it. And here's what happened to his disciples. We stopped looking on the outside of people. And we start looking into their hearts and knowing the value that they have there. I don't know how it happened, but this led me to think of Billy Addison. I don't know if they're related, but I reached out to Billy. A lot of you new folks, you won't know who Billy is, right? But Billy was in our county, and this has been a long time ago, uh, 30 years ago. But Billy was in our county, and I reached out to him, and I said, Billy, are you still following Jesus? And Billy, remind me of your story. And he sent me something. Can I read it to you? This is Billy's story. It's been a couple of years now, January 18th, 1990. Yes, I still call myself saved by God's grace. It started way back. Started way back. I was running with a destructive attitude. Three weekends in a row, things happened. A minor car accident one weekend, a DUI, another major car accident, brain injury, checked myself out of the hospital, end up having spells and seizures. Needed someone to take care of me. I mean, he's in these little short sentences. Ended up getting a woman with two small children to live with me. Still drank and drugged. Only time I was good was when I was around the children. One day, grocery shopping in Smithfield, I ran into Billy Rickman. He was friendly, but he told me I was going to hell. <laughs> Listen, Billy, which I already knew that. He also told me that I was accountable for those children I was raising. That struck a nerve. Uh, I lost my train of thought. I lost my train of reading. Uh, that, that struck a nerve. Decided I would try going to church. The first week, hot water froze up. I didn't go. Second week, the woman said I was still drunk. I didn't go. Third week, water froze up again. But this time, I took a pan of heated water and took a sponge bath. Went to church. First time there, going up the stairs, front stairs, I was drenched in sweat. I remember that day. I remember. He had on a coat, and you could still see a sweat. Freezing outdoors. I got children out of the way of the doors when I entered because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. That's what he's always said. The building was going to fall down when he walked in. Felt the urge to go up front after the end of the sermon, but did not. The next week I made church and your sermon, and your sermon laid heavy on my heart. The end of the sermon, it was really hard holding back from going to the front. Back in those days, I invited you to come to the front every week. Third week was same heartfelt sermon. When asked anyone to the front, God's calling was too strong. I went to the front and accepted his loving blessings. My problem was drinking daily, but that day God took the thought and desire away. I'm still following Jesus today. There are so many people in the world like Billy that you and I would look at and we would just rule them out and say, you know, 
God doesn't care about them. They're too far gone. They're too far. They're too mean. I, you know, but, but here's what Jesus does to us disciples. Those of us that follow Jesus, he changes our heart. You know what? And we don't care about what people look like and act like on the outside. We, we recognize that inside that person is someone that Jesus died for and someone that God loves. That's how he changes us. Anthony from the garage, you know, our good friend, Anthony Robinette, he, he's always talking about how when God arrested him, no one would have thought that, and that, God would, that Anthony would be anywhere near the kingdom of God. But yet his heart was drawn. Here's my second thing. Like, like Jesus, his disciples, here's what Jesus does to us. He causes, you know, he cha- not causes, he changes us so that like him, we love our enemies. Remember on the cross, Remember what Jesus said? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. I mean, he loved his enemies. Here's Jesus, Luke 6. All these, all these verses are going to be from Luke. But I say to you, who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Verse 31, just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that of you? For sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is it to you? Love your enemies. Do what is good. Lend, expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High. I talked about this a lot last week, so I, I'm not going to say any more. I'm just going to remind you that here's how Jesus changes people. They love their enemies. When, 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 it's hard, when, it's hard, when we're hard-pressed to love our friends, Jesus changes us and we love even our enemies. Number three, like Jesus, his disciples forgive others and they don't condemn Man, I, I know there's such a great overlap in these things I'm going to be saying. And some of you are going to say, Jimmy, you're saying the same thing. You're just nuancing it different. And maybe. Luke 6.37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn. You will not be condemned. Forgive. You will be forgiven. I've spoken often about judging one another. We don't judge motives. I, you listen, here I am called to judge behavior as wrong. I am, ju- I am called to openly say that is morally wrong. And we live in a day and in a culture where, where, where they're telling us, everybody is telling us we cannot say what is morally true. We have to say what's morally right, everyone. We need to do it in love, but, but we need to, if we don't speak up and say what's morally right, no one else is going to say it. So that is not what Jesus means. What does he mean when he says don't judge? He goes on and he says don't condemn. Here's what I think he means. He means two things. Number one, I cannot judge the motives behind your behavior. I do not know what's happening in your heart. I don't know why you do what you do. You don't know why I do what I do, right? So I cannot judge motives and, and I should not condemn. And by that condemnation, I think, is I don't have the right to pronounce any kind of ultimate judgment on you. That's God's job. And aren't you glad? I know some of you would like that job, but you're very, very wrong. You wouldn't want that job. And you don't have that job. And if you you think you want, you should give it up. It's not yours and my job to condemn anyone. God will take care of all of that. But then he says, and I think here by condemnation, I think we, we live that out by rejecting people, writing them off not forgiving them. But but notice Jesus says, we are to forgive. And here's the point that I really want to make on this point. It's that when Jesus, when we become a disciple of Jesus and he begins to change us, what he does is he makes forgiveness the default of our heart. 
He makes forgiveness what we want to live in, not, not necessarily just even a choice. It's, it's, as we love Him and follow Him, become like Him, then forgiveness becomes our default. When Shep died, I knew there was one thing I wanted to do. Shoot. I wanted to go to California to offer forgiveness to that young man that was driving. I wrote this a couple days before I was leaving. This weekend I'll be traveling to California and I'll be meeting with the young man. His father and I have talked and he's having a hard time. And I'm hoping, this is me, I'm hoping that our love and forgiveness will help him heal. I'd like to ask you to pray for that time. Not sure what to say to him exactly, but I want to tell him what I've learned about my son Shepard. Namely, that he was a man who loved people unconditionally if he could. And he also expressed, and he would also express his forgiveness to the boy. But what so lit me up was my oldest daughter wrote in response to what I wrote. And this is what she said. Last Friday night, my family spent time together before heading to church for the visitation. We were sitting in the chapel of the funeral home before we left. We paused together to pray. And as I sat there, the first thing that came to my mind was gratefulness. Grateful that I wasn't angry. Grateful that I wasn't bitter. Grateful that I only felt compassion. And as I prayed, thanking God for protecting mine and my family's hearts in that way, I meant it. My dad might be going to California alone, but he represents all of us. Disciples don't judge, and they don't condemn. They forgive. It's on our heart. We can't help it. We can't help it because our Jesus is such a forgiver. If you'll just come to him, he'll forgive you all your sin, and you'll belong to him, have eternal life. But He's going to change you now. He wants you to be a disciple now. It's not all about tomorrow. It's about being different now. Number four, like Jesus, His disciples seek to change themselves first and foremost. Man, listen to this. This is Luke again, 641. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself see the, you don't see the beam in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take out the beam of wood out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take out the splinter out of your brother's eye. Now Jesus' point isn't that I don't help you find the splinter or that you don't help me find my splinter. That's not his point. His point is that we should be most committed to looking at our own lives and, and, and changing and being like Jesus myself. And if I'm going to look for splinters in your eye, I, I ought to be really, really sure that I'm looking for logs in my own eye. I've been listening to a, a podcast. I'd recommend it to you. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. My wife would probably not want me to recommend it to you. But it's a, if, you don't know, if you know anything about Mars Hill Church, it, it grew from a Bible study to one of the biggest churches in America, one of the fastest growing churches in America, led by Pastor Mark Driscoll. And, and it imploded overnight and self-destructed, overnight almost. And, and in its wake, it just it left lots of destruction in its wake. But here's, here's the point, that as I've been listening to this podcast, the thing that became most obvious to me was that the lead pastor forgot to focus on growing himself. He forgot to focus on, on being the disciple of Jesus. And what took back over was the old guy, you know, because that potential is in all of us, isn't it? It's in all of us. The old guy to take back over. 
Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Prioritize your own sanctification, your own spiritual growth. It's amazing to me how often it is or how easy it is for us to see those things in other people's lives and not see them in our own. But the disciple of Jesus says, no, man, it's, it's, I want to work on me. I want to work on me first. I want to be the kind of man that, that Jesus is. Number five, like Jesus, his disciples know that greatness and godliness is found in service and humility. I think one of the primary drives in our lives, in our humanity, in, in the not so good part of our humanity, is this desire to be the greatest, the desire to be on top of the pile. And I know that not all of us share that desire at the same level. Some people are driven by it so much more than others. But even if we don't want to be on the top of the pile, none of us want to be on the bottom of the pile, right? I mean, would that be a fair statement? Maybe you say, well, I don't want to be on the top of the pile. Yeah, but you probably don't want to be on the bottom of the pile either. The disciples struggled with this. I mean, they struggled a lot. You just go back through the Gospels. They, they, Jesus was dealing with this in their lives quite often. Watch the chosen. They bring that out. Uh, you know, here's, here's Luke 9, 46. An argument started amongst them about who was the greatest of them. But Jesus, knowing their inner thoughts, took a little child, had him stand next to him, and he told them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Now listen, for whoever is least among you, this one is great. Why a child? Why bring a little child out there? I'll tell you why. Because children have no power. Children have no power. They may be cute, they may be lovable, they may be a pain at times, but they don't have any power. Where would you rather be? The president of the United States, your favorite president, whoever that might be, is here. And he's having lunch with us. Where would you rather be? Seated at his table or in the nursery, working the nursery? You see, children have no power. And that's why Jesus says this. He says, listen, greatness amongst my disciples isn't found by trying to claw your way to the top. It's by willing to be a servant of everyone. Be, be the least among, among the brothers and sisters. Choose that path for yourself. Philippians 2, I quote it almost every Sunday, but it's Jesus, it's Jesus lowering himself, emptying himself for us. Here at the end of the ministry, end of three years, they're still arguing over this. Luke twenty two twenty four. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. Nine forty six. An argument started amongst them about who the greatest of them. Who's the great man? All these months, maybe years. And they're still arguing about the same thing. And that's when he goes on and says that the, 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 the kings and the Gentiles lord it over it, over you, but that's not how it's supposed to be among you guys. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, like the child, whoever leads, like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't the one, isn't it the one at the table? But I'm among you as one who serves. When we become a disciple of Jesus, listen, we, we let go of power. We should let go of power. And, and, and this desire to be on top of the pile and say, Lord, here I am. I want to serve people. I want to serve others. I want to lay down my life to help others. Back in my country listening days, country music listening days, one of my favorite song, songs was the one about you find out who your friends are. I think I've quoted it to you before. 
Run your car off the side of the road, get stuck in a ditch way out in the middle of nowhere, get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back, need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the cream is going to rise. This is, this is what you really didn't know. This is where the truth don't lie. You find out who your friends are. Somebody's going to drop everything, run out and crank up their car, hit the gas, get there fast, never stop to think, what's in it for me? Or it's way too far. They just show up with their big old heart and you find out who your friends are. Now, if I could say this, and, and I think I'm right, that's the heart of a disciple. And it's the heart of a disciple, not, not just for their friends. That's the heart of a disciple for everyone around them. That's the kind of heart that, that's the kind of heart we have, we need to have for one another. Number six, like Jesus, his disciples are grateful people rather than demanding people. God desires us to be grateful folks, to recognize the investment of others in our life and be grateful and express appreciation for that. God has something to say about if we're going to be his disciple and be like him, then we serve, right? Because he was a servant, right? That's what he said. But he also has something to say when we are served by one another, we're the kind of person that expresses appreciation. We're the kind of person that recognizes what that other person just did for me. Remember, remember, remember the story where the ten, I think ten lepers it was, and and they they come and say, "Will you heal us?" And he says, "Yeah, I'll heal you." And he heals them. He says, "Go to the temple and and just show yourselves." And while they were going, they were cleansed. This is Luke um, seventeen. Verse uh, 15, but one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. I wonder what that means. Fell down before Jesus, crying maybe, crying in gratefulness, I don't know. Fell face down at Jesus' feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan, not a Jew. The implication was the other guys were Jewish. And then Jesus said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And, and he told him, get up and go your way. Your faith has saved you. Here's, here's what Jesus does to us when we follow him and we become his disciples and, and he changes us because that's what he's doing. He's making us like Jesus. We become grateful people. We express gratitude to God and to one another. You know, I, I have a confession to make. I'm sitting at my desk working on this point and God reminds me of someone that had invested in my life, and, and I had made a mental note, I want to express appreciation. But almost a week had gone by, and I hadn't done that. I took care of that right in that, that moment. Imagine a world where men and women follow Jesus, and everyone is grateful to each other, rather than demanding of others that you put me first. And the last one, like Jesus, his disciples understand that life is, life is so much more than possessions. One thing about Jesus, everyone, he didn't care about stuff. He didn't care about things. Do you, you remember when uh, the disciple guy came to him, one of them said, I want to be your disciple. And he said, look, man, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head down. I don't, even have, a, I don't have no place to call my own. And uh, I, I, I would suggest that I bet you Jesus didn't have much more than a change of clothes. That's all he had in possession-wise. And a guy comes and says, I want to follow you. And he says to him, hey, give all your possessions away. Give them to the poor and come and follow me. I don't think that Jesus was, I don't think that was a prescription for all of us. 
I don't think he's saying that possessions are inherently wrong. In fact, even in the verses that Landon, you read today, they, they don't make that statement, right? They don't make that statement. But disciples, that's us, we know that life consists of so much more than the things that we have. That what's really valuable in life isn't what we possess in the way of things, but it's, it's other things, it's other possessions. Let me, let me get to it. Here's Jesus speaking again. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus responded to him, Friend, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? This is Luke 12, 13 and following. He then told them, Watch out, be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. A rich man had a very productive land. And he thought to himself, What should I do with this? I'll, I'll, since I, have, I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and store all my grain and all my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have so many possessions stored up for many years. Eat, uh, take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But then God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure, possessions for himself, and is not rich towards God. Stuff is just stuff, everyone. You hear me, young people? Stuff is just stuff. Old people, hoarders among us. I'm aiming at it myself. Hoarders among us, right? Stuff, stuff can be detrimental to true life. I mean, it crowds us out. After telling the man who had a lot of possessions, get rid of them, you know what he did, don't you? He walked away. He said, no, my possessions are too big, too much. Can't do that. Jesus responded to that, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for those who have possessions to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Possessions, riches, they cloud our vision if we're not careful. They make us miss where real life is found. They make us miss Jesus and his perspective. As disciples, I think it should be like this when it comes to possessions. We should be quick to give away our possessions. We should be, we should be quick to walk away from anything like that that might stand in the way of us following Jesus and being like Jesus. We hold on to things, I think, like this rather than like this. Right? Enjoy your possessions. But enjoy your possessions by sharing your possessions. I think that's how you and I will enjoy our possessions the most. <laughs> Just had a thought. Yesterday afternoon, I was at Lou's house. And, uh, and, and Lou had invited some of his Fijian friends to come for Fiji Day. And there was a whole lot more of them, I think, than Lou thought were coming, right? I don't know. But uh, I just saw Lou just sharing, his, sharing everything with everybody that was there. That's, that's, that's how we live, like this. The disciple knows that the greatest things we possess are friendships. They're each other. They're family. They're majestic mountain vistas and, and sunshine. Sunshine on a warm spring day. Or how about rain in a drought, right? Those are the greatest blessings of our lives. So let me finish. So I am, I'm finished with, those were the seven things that as I walked through the book of Luke, I had a list that was really long, but I picked those seven. And like I said, there's probably a lot of overlap. 
But let me finish with this question, and hopefully you've been tracking with me. So if, if we're going to make disciples whose lives are going to change and be like I just described, so that as their lives change and my life and your life changes, and, and, and so as that happens, we change the community around us, okay? How do we in, invigorate our own disciple-making? And, uh, and I came up with three necessaries. Now, I was on the phone with John Bull at this point in my sermon preparation, and I had, I had written down the first thing. And I said to John, I said, John, and we talked a few minutes, and I said, John, what would you say if I was to say, how do I go about making a disciple, making disciples? I said, John, what would you say? And John said the same thing I'm going to tell you right now. So uh, John and I are right. So <laughs> here we go. You ready? Here's how we make disciples. You have to be a disciple. You have to be a disciple. You cannot, I cannot make what I'm not. I, I cannot, I will not. I mean, by the grace of God, God can do all kinds of things. But I, I'm not going to make a disciple if I am not living the life of disciples. Jesus said, why do you call yourself my disciple if you don't do what I do, if you don't act like me, if you don't live like me, why do you say you're my disciple? You're not my disciple. I'm going to simplify the story. Uh, I, you know, you probably know it. Some of you won't, but Otto Koning years ago was a missionary to Papua New Guinea. And uh, he was he was serving there, and he tells the story about how he was having making no headway with the nationals. And he grew a pineapple yard there, and uh, and they kept stealing his pineapples. And that just made him angrier and angrier, and he put up a fence, and he got watchdogs, and they still kept stealing his pineapples until one day God got a hold of his heart, and he said, Otto, just surrender your pineapples to me. Live like me. Give up your possessions. Let me have it. And, uh, and he changed. He got rid of the fences and got rid of the dogs. And it wasn't long before they stopped stealing his uh Oh, and actually, I, I, sorry, I messed up. They came to him, and this is what they said to him. They said to him, Tuan, sir, you have become a Christian. You don't get angry anymore. We always wondered if you would ever meet, if we'd ever meet a Christian. And Otto went on to tell him that he'd actually given the pineapple yard to, to God. And if after that, they didn't steal anymore because they were afraid to steal from God. But, but the thing that I wanted you to notice was, the thing I wanted you to see about Otto's testimony, and this is giving me chills, they, they never associated Otto with the kind of person that he was talking about as a disciple of Jesus. They basically, Otto's telling them about the disciples of Jesus, but they, they didn't see Otto being one of the disciples because he wasn't living like the guy that he, that he was describing to them. And when he began to live like Jesus, if you would, when he began to really live out his discipleship, they thought he'd become a Christian. And Otto was greatly offended by that at first, and then he was hurt. Listen, we won't make disciples unless we're a disciple. I, so my, my, as I end this challenge to us, and I don't know where it'll go, whether God will use it in your life, my life, and in our church family, but as I end this, I, I would just say to all of you, be a disciple of Jesus. L live like Jesus. Let, let, let Him direct your life by His Spirit. Number two, how do we make disciples? I, I be a disciple myself, but then I introduce others to Jesus. I ask them, have you, have you heard about Jesus? I should just talk to Him about Jesus. About, hey, you know, ask people, have you heard about him? Can I tell you about him? 
I mean, you may find out people might be, I mean, if that's what we're talking about, because Jesus was a real person. I mean, even, even the atheists who don't believe in God still believe Jesus was a real person, right? Well, it's a lot of them do. And, and so, tell, can I tell you about Jesus? Remember Philip and the Ethiopian? Philip's running alongside the chariot, and the guy's reading from the Bible. He says, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, no, I don't. And Philip got up in the chariot and, and told him about Jesus. Or how about Paul in, uh, in Ephesus and these guys, these disciples of John coming? And he says, have you ever heard about the Holy Spirit? And I said, we don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, they didn't know about Jesus either. So he explained to them about Jesus and about the work of the Spirit. Paul, basically talking about Jesus. I went through the book of Acts much like I did the, the, the book of Luke, though not quite as extensively. And it just seems to me in the book of Acts, what we see is people just telling people about Jesus. And how he died for their sins and, and offers them forgiveness of their sins. And he just, they just told him about Jesus. What if we just asked people, do you know about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? And then just tell them about Jesus. And, and it seems to me if we introduce people to Jesus, his life, his resurrection, the Spirit will take it from there. The Spirit will take it from there. He'll bring conviction. He'll, he'll, you know, he'll take the gospel, the power of God into salvation, and he'll use it in their lives. And then the third thing, third thing. And I'm done. Teach others about Jesus. All of us need to be helping each other learn about Jesus. I mean, that's go therefore and make disciples. And, and yes, it was directed at those leaders at that point, but I really do believe it's legitimate for us to lift that commission, that charge, and make it for all of us. And so teach people everywhere to be like Jesus. A, a, a big thing... Uh, in Matthew's, in Matthew's recounting of it is, he remember he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So that's what we need to be doing. So parents, we've got a lot of children in our church. And so parents, let me say, your first disciples are your children. You need to teach your children to follow Jesus. You need to teach your children to be like Jesus. You need to instruct them in the ways of Jesus. I can remember when Caleb was a little guy, seven years old, maybe. I don't know. He's playing baseball, and he's playing second base. And if you know, if you were around when my kids were little, one thing you'll remember is they were really into the game, whatever game it was. They were really into it. I mean, Shepard was the Shepherd was the best. He looked like a major league player when he was like four years old. He would dress his brothers would dress him up, right? So he looked the part. But Caleb is playing second base, and the ball gets hit over the second baseman. And it goes out to the left right fielder. And, um, and the right fielder is playing in the daisies. And uh, he doesn't really kind of get it, you know. But he, he sees the ball is coming out to him, so he kind of goes over there to get it. You know, he's hurrying, but he wasn't much of a hurrier. But he's hurrying it the best he can. But Caleb runs out from second base all the way out to right field. And right before the boy picks up the ball, he picks up the ball and he throws it in and he stops the run from scoring. And everybody's all excited about what Caleb did. And some of y'all are going to be mad at me for what I'm about to tell you. But anyway, but later, I pulled Caleb aside. And I said, Caleb, what do you think that little boy thought when you ran out there and you took the ball from him? And, uh, and I'm trying not to do it in pickleball, George. I know that's what you're thinking. So I'm trying to live out what I told my son. But I said, son, you know, baseball is a great game. Be good at it. You did great. But you also need to think 
about others and how they think and what they're feeling. And in this particular case, that wasn't your ball. That was his ball. And you need to run all the way out to right field to get the ball. Let him get it and, and, and throw, throw it in. I was trying to teach my son and I try to teach my children what it meant to be like Jesus and to follow him. Parents, that's your job. That's what you should all be doing. Let me go back to the first point. You've got to model it. Model it and then teach it. Teach one another. Uh, teach one another how to follow Jesus. Older women in our church, you know, it says this in, it says this in Paul's writings. You should teach the younger women. And what is it that you're to teach them? Anybody remember what you're to teach them in the text? How to love your husband, right? I mean, that's a thing. That's how to love your husband as a follower of Jesus. What will that look like? So older women, your job is to teach younger women how to do that. Older men, you're to teach younger men. What are you to teach them? What it means to be like Jesus, right? To be a servant. To not be one that wants to be on the top of the pile all the time. What have you learned about following Jesus? And who are you passing it on to? Who are you teaching? Who are you teaching? We need to be teaching each other. There it is. If we're going to change the community, our neighborhoods, we've got to make disciples. And so I want to ask you this morning, will you consider becoming a real disciple maker, a real helper of others to follow Jesus and to observe his life and to be like him in your life? Because then, and I believe maybe only then, we'll change, change our world. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.